Hello, I'm Rena Grobe, and I'm Madhvi Romani, and this is Misinformed, where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So, Madhvi, what did you get obsessed with this week? I have been thinking about obituaries and how we honor the dead, because quite a few people died recently. Prince Philip, who is Queen Elizabeth's husband in the UK, DMX, legendary rapper, Bernie Madoff, who was the architect of one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history. I think the financial losses he incurred for people go between 16 and 20 billion dollars because of this financial fraud. He actually died in prison because he was sentenced to 150 years in prison. Prince Philip was 99 years old and DMX was 50, very young. Well, it was quite amazing. A friend of mine pointed this out. I mean, obviously, when Prince Philip died, it was just everywhere. I think we were together and you were like, oh, no, it's all over my news feed. And then I was looking at the New York Times and I read the DMX obituary. And what was quite interesting was the Prince Philip obituary was placed above DMX, which is weird because he's a 99-year-old guy who didn't do anything. And not only did he not really do anything, he didn't have as much achievement as DMX. He was also a racist and a bigot and a classist and an elitist and just he did terrible things and said terrible things. Whereas DMX came from nothing and he was a New Yorker and the New York Times placed Prince Philip above DMX, which was interesting. And then the Prince Philip death on the BBC got the most amount of complaints ever in history over 109,000 complaints. I think most of the reason was that they took over all of BBC One, all of BBC Two. They shut down BBC Four for some reason. It was just everywhere. I think a lot of people complained, to be honest, because of the fact that they cancelled MasterChef, which, you know, people are totally into. They also did complain about the fact that Prince Andrew was sort of covered in the coverage, whereas Prince Andrew has been known, obviously, to have ties with the paedophile Jeffrey Epstein. So, you know, there were loads of different complaints. Obviously, 109,000 is a lot. And I was just wondering, it's interesting how we honour the dead, who we honour. It's all very political. And what we say once they're dead and what we don't say and what's considered polite and not polite. And how do we deal with the dead? I think this idea of you do not speak ill of the dead is incredibly fascinating because I always wonder, just because Prince Philip is dead doesn't change that he was a horribly racist person who contributed to a colonizing empire. He's not even around to hear the terrible things we say about him, so why not be honest about who he is and who he was? Why this weird taboo of you should not speak ill of the dead? So it's actually a taboo that in the early 3rd century, the biographer Dionysius Leritus attributed to the phrase, do not speak ill of the dead, to the philosopher Chilin of Sparta in Latin, and I apologize for every person who speaks Latin, I'm going to butcher this, de mortius nile nisi bonum. So that's where this comes from. It's become part of pop culture and I think our standard traditions. I wonder why. And also, I wonder because back in the day when you wanted to speak ill of someone, you had to physically speak to someone. You can just post whatever you want on Facebook. Just the way that when someone famous dies, suddenly everyone, this is an inspiring hero, everyone needs to have a performative aspect of grief. 
in some way, if you legitimately admire someone, I can see how this releasing or sharing your emotions or finding comfort in speaking about how much a person meant to you. But there's this weird performative aspect to it that it doesn't quite sit right with me. And also just like, Prince Philip was a shitty person. Let me say he was a shitty person. Why does decorum dictate that we suddenly pretend like he was a saint? So it's interesting, the Bernie Madoff obituary said straight off the bat, you know, this is what he was famous for. He really ruined a lot of people's lives. The Prince Philip thing is very interesting because for me it's political. Like Prince Philip in the New York Times, they did mention that he said all sorts of racist things. Like he saw a black British person once and said, oh, what exotic part of the world do you come from? Or he addressed a bunch of British students in China once. He said, oh, if you stay here any longer, you'll all become slitty-eyed. It's really terrible stuff. He said to an Aboriginal Australian, so still throwing spears then. He asked a little African girl if she was a woman. The way that this has been reported in the BBC, and there's a really good article from 2017 about this and about how the BBC reports Prince Philip, who has bigoted, racist, elitist Western views, and they all the British media say, oh, it's gaffes. Oh, he was outspoken. Oh, he got into trouble by just saying his views and stuff. And the New York Times also kind of addressed it, but they put it all the way at the bottom of the obituary. They said, you know, these are the some of the comments, because you can't ignore it, is the thing. You can't ignore this blatant racism. So they put it all the way at the bottom. Before that, they actually put the fact that he answered the phone, the landline, at Buckingham Palace. He was the first royal to do this. So it's very interesting what they choose to place where, and what literally has prominence and is above another thing. Surely you would put the fact that he was a colonialist and insulted a lot of people and was incredibly privileged and awful. Once he was talking at somewhere for like smoke detectors and he was with a woman who had lost two sons in a fire and he said, oh, they're awful things. I've got one in the bathroom and every time I fill the bath up, the steam sets it off. I mean, the guy was a stupid And he got all these BBC channels, all this stuff. And I think it's very interesting that the New York Times has now decided to do a thing over the last few years. It's called Overlooked. So they're actually going back in time and they realised that most of their obituaries were dedicated to white men. And so now they're going back and writing obituaries for people that they didn't give, mostly women and people of colour. For example, Charlotte Bronte and Ida B. Wells, who campaigned against lynching. 155,000 people die between when one edition of the New York Times is published and the next. Of all those people, only three people are given obituaries, and they've been mostly white men. So the person who came up with this overlooked idea was actually a woman of colour, of course, But what's really interesting is the person who still decides, whose name is William MacDonald, who's the editor of the obituary section in the New York Times, is a white man. And I find that very interesting because that must have played a role in Prince Philip being above DMX in this case. In 2013, when Margaret Thatcher died... There was a digital campaign to promote Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead to number one on the British single charts. It got to second place, and the BBC refused to play the song in full. They only played five seconds of it. So I think we know exactly where 
the BBC's loyalties lie. I don't think that the BBC really cares that Prince Philip was a terrible person or that Margaret Thatcher was a terrible person. In the essay which William MacDonald wrote, he was saying that obituaries are not there to honour the dead, they're reporting a significant death and you are significant by fame and achievement mostly, like what you have done. But the funny thing about Prince Philip is he didn't really do much. They were really struggling with he answered the landline at Buckingham Palace. And it was interesting because in Instagram and stuff, there were some posts about how Prince Philip's sisters and stuff were actual Nazis. Also in the comments, there were people just saying, just let the family grieve or let him have his moment and stuff. And it's like, well, I don't think so. What about all of the people he insulted? Whose story and... Whose respect are we giving prominence to? Mm -hmm. That's the question here. Because, of course, yes, there's a grieving family. Fine. I'm sure they're all very sad. Their grandfather, father, uncle, whatnot died. But at the same time, it's not like they gave a fuck about all of the people who they directly or indirectly killed or made their lives terrible for. So there's this weird thing of we're meant to show respect to someone who had absolutely no respect for other people. So why? I remember when... Boris Johnson was in hospital with COVID and my comment was well I hope he dies of it. A lot of people would think that's really terrible and I understand that life is precious and you should not really wish death on anyone. It's just that. With the case of him, with Bolsonaro in Brazil too when he got COVID, I was thinking well I hope they die because they're very ready, these people, to let other people die of the same thing. So it's kind of for me, it's a sort of justice. And also, this is the same guy who is not given the very NHS staff that are really at the front lines of this, are feeling the impact of it and are putting themselves also on the line. Like a lot of NHS nurses and doctors have died of COVID and they have not received any support really from the government in the UK. Masks are still not mandatory anywhere. And then you're not supposed to say things like that. But why? I don't understand why we have to be the bigger person in this scenario. Again, in general, I don't wish death upon anyone, but I'm not going to pretend like I care about someone or I want someone to get better who legitimately does not give a fuck about people. So after DMX died, I was on Instagram, which is where I learned that he had died, and this one prominent activist I followed had posted something where she retracted her post honoring DMX because some of her followers had pointed out that he had been accused of rape in the past. On that note, that's interesting because he was accused of rape, but then he was cleared with DNA evidence. What I think is interesting about this is, one, it was not mentioned in a lot of the obituaries. Even in the parts where they listed all of his former run-ins with the law. And the second thing was that... In contrast with Prince Philip, DMX was a trailblazer. He was the first artist to see his first five albums go number one in the Billboard charts. He came from humble beginnings. He made his way in the world. He overcame a lot of adversity. He was a truly inspirational person and an artist. DMX is a super fascinating and talented person. He struggled with addiction his entire life. He also starred in blockbuster films alongside his music career. So he was like an incredibly fascinating, inspirational person. I always wonder how do we deal with this scenario of he was a trailblazer and he was probably an inspiration and a hero to many. And then yet, okay, in this case, he was cleared of rape charges. 
Because particularly in marginalized communities, you're already facing so much pressure and stress and you have so many roadblocks and just there's so much laid in your way that shouldn't we be celebrating every person who is able to be a role model and achieve things? So how do we deal with when those heroes are accused of something terrible? Does that negate all the good that they've done and the symbolic value they have? Interestingly, the BBC in their obituary did mention the rape accusations, so organization run by mostly white people. Again, <laughs> we know exactly where the BBC's loyalties lie. But it's so interesting because I feel like Michael Jackson, if you take Michael Jackson, who brought a lot of us so much joy, he was the soundtrack to our childhoods, he did a lot of great stuff in music, and then he's a paedophile. And my radio station still plays Michael Jackson, and I turn the radio off every single time it does this. I've got this really great radio station, it plays all 80s and really cheesy music, so I kind of keep it, but it's just so annoying. I think that's completely disrespectful of all the people he abused, because it's like saying his music was more important than people. Also, just not even just to his victims, I think to just anyone who was a victim of this kind of abuse... It's being told, oh, our memories and our association with this music is more important than your trauma. All an abuser has to do to get away with things is just be really talented and make really great music. But then also on the flip side, was he not an inspiration to the black community and to little black children everywhere? How do you negotiate that? I was just on Instagram. There's this account that I follow. It's called Rebel Women Lit. And they normally have really good books on there. Anyway, there's this book called Mrs. Death by Salem Godden. And what stood out for me was they just took a picture of the quote at the beginning of the book. It says, mourn the dead and fight like hell for the living. And I think in this case, yeah, there are people who are alive and who are, you know, their entire lives are affected by these people. It's like Woody Allen making films and everyone going to see them. And it's disrespectful to the lives of his daughter who is suffering trauma every single day and whose entire life has been affected by this. And it's placing, oh, this entertainment or this film above that. Hannah Gadsby, the comedian, had something really interesting to say about this when she goes on about Picasso. So everyone always goes on about how great Picasso is, but he was problematic. And she says, yeah, Picasso basically, he invented cubism. You see things from many different perspectives and angles. And she says it's kind of ironic because she agrees with Picasso that you don't just have one perspective on a thing. You must see all the perspectives and they must be kind of equal as well. So I think what's key in the part idea is that when you see a person, you just don't see one aspect or acknowledge just one aspect of that person. You acknowledge the whole complexity of that person. And this idea of not speaking ill of the dead, it's kind of damaging a little bit because you deny the complexity and the bad things that that person did as well. There was a really interesting opinion in Al Jazeera about Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, Mahatma means basically great soul, and he was elevated because he liberated the nation from colonialism and did a great load of work and a lot of work for nonviolence and also inspired Martin Luther King with his approach. He was a great man, but he was been elevated to this great soul. And recently in California and Davis and a few other places in the US, Gandhi statues have been vandalized. And this is linked to Black Lives Matter because Gandhi was also a racist. And one of the ways when he was in South Africa, he believed that Indians 
were not the same level as black people. In fact, they were above them. They shared this Aryo-Indian race in, in racial terms with Europeans. So he was not really anti-apartheid. He was anti the Indians being denied the same rights as white people and being classed as black people. He was very problematic in many ways. And the BJP, which is the Indian Nationalist Party, is using him and hailing him as a great icon right now, which is really interesting. Is also political because the person who murdered Gandhi was a Hindu nationalist of the party, the RSS, which was the backbone of what formed the BJP. So the nationalists are now taking on this myth of Mahatma Gandhi and Indian people are very offended when you say anything about Gandhi because he's just been elevated to this position of godliness, especially after death. But he was a human being. He had his flaws. And it's, I think, dangerous when we just don't see the complexities and all the different politics at play when we talk about dead people. The same kind of goes for Mother Teresa, doesn't it? Yeah, she was a bitch. Yeah, she was kind of a terrible person and her organizations and her orphanages and were known for hiring people without qualifications, for having terrible hygiene standards, for the fact that she was incredibly racist, and yet she's become this myth and the Catholic Church has made her a saint. All of it is spinning a myth or keeping a specific narrative alive because it helps push an agenda. You say that in pop culture all the time, don't you? You say, oh yeah, she's no Mother Teresa. Well, even Mother Teresa wasn't Mother Teresa. <laughs> yeah, it's elevating also one person or one person's narrative and visibility and story above all those other perspectives, like Hannah Gatsby says. Yeah, and especially considering that, that like Mother Teresa was a white European woman doing charity work in India. So there's this whole white savior narrative that also plays into it. Just patting ourselves on the back now. And and the religious. And the religious. Oh Colonialism my God. via the church. Yeah, it's colonialism via the church. And you know they love that. When they can have the moral high ground. And it also makes me think of Abraham Lincoln, who is also held up to be this mythical figure within American history. In case you don't know, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of America. And during his one and only term as president, it was the Civil War, which ended in the 13th Amendment being passed, which is the amendment that officially, in quotation marks, banned slavery in the U.S. If Abraham Lincoln were alive today, we would think of him as a racist bigot. But obviously, within context of the time that he lived, he wasn't an abolitionist. There were people of his time who were way more radical, and he had incredibly problematic views on black people in America. Specifically, he intended to ship all of the freed enslaved people off to, I think, Haiti after they had been forcefully brought to the U.S. because he believed that white people and black people could not live in harmony. Also, his views on the natives were just incredibly problematic, and he actually was responsible for the largest mass killing of Native Americans in the history of the United States. My whole point of talking about Abraham Lincoln was he's turned into this martyr and this saint for America because it fits into the narrative that people want to spin of like, oh, all white people aren't that bad. Oh, Abraham Lincoln, this great savior. And because it helps elevate their agenda. And we just keep doing this time after time with different people and ignoring all their problematic aspects. I think it just occurred to me when you were talking about Abraham Lincoln one of the reasons people say don't speak ill of the dead or that you're not encouraged to talk about the dead in a certain 
some way is that they're not here to defend themselves. On the other hand, there's only one side of the story. Yeah, I mean, that's a very valid point, I guess. Yeah, maybe they're not here to defend themselves, but actions speak louder than words. And if you were a terrible person in your life, I don't really care if you can't defend yourself anymore. You know, Prince Philip was a hundred years old. That means he was alive during Britain's active colonial past. This is not even like he's in a long line of people who supported colonialism, because colonialism is still alive, obviously, in one way or another, but when it was like out in the open and they didn't even try to pretend to, to not be doing what they're doing, he was part of that. How is he going to defend himself against that even if he was alive? And on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. If you feel that somebody in history, a woman or a person of colour, has been overlooked by obituaries in mainstream press, you can actually write to the obituaries editor of the New York Times. There's an online form you can fill in. You can ask for an obituary to be written about them retrospectively. Be aware that a white man is making the decisions there. Thing two, be critical of your heroes. I think it's okay to look up to people, but never deny them their humanity and never deny their flaws. And number three, this is a quote from DMX. Don't believe everything you hear, don't believe everything you read, and only believe half of what you see. And my favorite quote from DMX, I don't like anything about Drake. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube for news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration. Subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.